Luke chapter 4, Satan never rests, does he? And that was true during the time in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Just because, it would be easy for us to think that just because Jesus is Jesus, that He is the Son of God, that uh, He is perfect, that coming and living a life as a man in the flesh must have been easy for Him. And I think that's really bad theology. I think that's really bad, I'm going to use preachery words, Christology, the study. It's a bad understanding of who He is and what happened. Jesus, the book of Hebrews tells us, suffered temptation and trial. And the words in the Greek for temptation and trial are often interchangeable uh, because trials, even when they're not about sin, sometimes do tempt us to unbelief and sin and despair. Um, so they, they can have the same effect, and Satan knows how to use them well. And a lot of you have been through both temptation and trial. And you have succeeded leaning on Jesus, and you have failed leaning on yourself. And welcome. We are all in the same boat. Uh, that's, that's where we've been. The only difference between us and Christ is that He has not failed. But He went through every temptation every trial, and in truth, when I read about Jesus' life, I'd say he went through more than the average share of temptation and trial. Uh, I don't really look at Jesus' life and say, wow, he did just like me. I look at Jesus' life and say, wow, he went through much worse and did better. So we have a lot to learn in our discipleship from Jesus Christ and from the way that he handled things. And we need to remember as we look this morning at these temptations that they were real. Uh, there is there was a lot of uh, misinterpretation of Jesus in his life back in the second and third century that sometimes reoccurs every now and then. Uh, ideas like, well, Jesus wasn't really tempted because it was impossible for Jesus to sin because he was God. I kind of get where they're coming from, but it is a mistake. It's you know they they're, they're going by the wrong map and they're going to get to the wrong place. Jesus could have sinned. Uh, it was absolutely possible. You say, well, how do you know that, James? Because where there is no possibility of sin, there is no such thing as temptation. It doesn't exist. Okay? Case in point, if uh, I put down a bowl of Russian beet salad that's made with, with uh, cut up... Man, now I'm hungry because I actually like Russian beet salad. Is that weird? Uh, <laughs> do you like Russian beet salad? I'm weirder than Steve right now. You just saw it. There you go. That's your gift for this morning. <laughs> but me, me and 150 million Russians love it. But, the, but it's, it's, you, what I like to take is you take pickled beets, you, you slice those things up, slice and dice those things, you mix it with a good mayonnaise, which in the U.S. means you buy Duke's mayonnaise, right? It was either right or wrong, that question. There was not a preference issue. Uh, but you, you take Duke's mayonnaise and you take garlic, because it's Russian, that's why. And you take garlic and a little, just a little bit of salt and pepper, and it's greater than the sum of its parts. You need to let it sit in the fridge for a little while. And it's really good. And if I make that for supper, then it's usually gone before the next meal, because I'm going to sneak back in there and eat the rest of it. I don't know why, because on paper, I should hate this stuff, but I like it. But if I put that bowl in the middle of our dining room table, and anyone else in my family is sitting there, there is no temptation whatsoever, okay? I could put a bowl of that. Uh, we, could, we could put a little thing. They put it right there 
on Emmett's shirt, right, where he held it, walk around all day, and not one moment would he be tempted to take a bite, right? Because where there is no tem- where there is no desire, there's no temptation, and where there's no possibility of him eating it, there's and there's no possibility of him eating it. There is no temptation. So when we look at this, understand, Jesus isn't just going through the moves. He's not pretending to be human so that we can look at this drama and think, oh wow, wasn't that great? He overcame. He was tempted, Hebrews says, in every way just as we are. When He looked at the stones, He was hungry enough to turn them into bread. When He looked at the future and what it would cost Him, a shortcut sounded like a good idea. And we need to realize that. Okay. So as, as we read this, remember, this stuff was real to Jesus. Uh, let's look at the passage here. And I'm going to go ahead and it won't all be up there. Just the first couple of verses are on this part. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And He took Him to Jerusalem and set Him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered Him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed him until an opportune time. Okay, we're going to go back here to the very beginning because we need to catch this here in verses 1 and 2. Last week, we talked about how uh, so much of the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, and then, of course, it continues throughout the book and continues on into the book of Acts in the early church, was about the role of the Holy Spirit in, in the ministry and life of Jesus Christ as much as it was about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. That every important moment in Scripture, you see God the Father, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit all at work in their different capacities and roles. Constantly, you just see that. All three. In the Scripture we read this morning, it was there. In the songs we sang this morning, it is there. And in our life, and if we're to overcome temptation... All three need to be there. And we need to be yielding to the leading of all three. You might consider it like a three-legged stool. And if you're paying attention to just two out of three, what do you do? You fall over, right? And it's the same thing. You want to be strong enough to face what the devil throws in front of you. Your dependence needs to be on Father, Son, and Spirit. And your wisdom needs to come from Father, Son, and Spirit. And you see this in Jesus. Why did He go into the wilderness? The Spirit led Him there. Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. And I mentioned last week, notice what it says. He was led for 40 days by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit didn't just take Him out to the desert, drive Him off and leave Him there. For 40 days, 
He was led by the Spirit. We don't even know all that that means because this is all we're told about those 40 days. But we know that much, and that may be all we need to know as we go through our own wilderness at times and trials. But that's what happened. He ate nothing during those days, and we think it's tough to make it to noon, right? He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. I've always thought this was funny that Luke bothered when it was over, he was hungry. Oh, you think? Forty days? Oh, my word. I can't even imagine. Forty days he went and he was hungry. But that does tell us. I think he wasn't hungry. He might have been. If he hadn't been led by the Spirit, what would he be? Hangry, right? That's where we go. Those Snickers commercials are no joke. Isn't that Snickers? That is no joke. When we're not hungry, we are not our best selves. You know how you've felt that at times? Well, you almost could. It's like an out-of-body experience. You see yourself being crankier than you ought to be. And then somebody gives you food, and all of a sudden it's like you get allowed back into your body, and, and everything's fine again. Okay, it's all fine. But that, that happens, and it's real. Forty days, no food. Was the temptation real when Jesus came to him? This picture, I don't know who took it, but this picture is, is, is about what I, I think probably... Uh, I would have been seeing. In fact, when I look at this, I can see the bread in this rock. I don't know if you can see it. But, there, you know, it looks like it needs to go in the oven, but you can see where the lines of the flour are after they've patted it. I can see it. And, and that's just because I'm hungry because all I had was an English muffin. What would have happened if 40 days, the mountains behind it would look like food too. That's what would have happened. And J- Satan comes to Jesus and he says, you know, you're the Son of God. You could do this. There's really no reason for the one who created the universe to sit here hungry. You don't have to do this. And that would be tempting, wouldn't it? To use, as, we, as you'd say if it was a comic book, you'd be tempted to use your powers for evil instead of for good. And we might say, well, I don't even know why they'd be evil to turn the, the, bread, the rock into bread. All of these stories, and it was mentioned in the, in the video earlier, all of these stories are reflective of a story before. Throughout the Old Testament and the New, God constantly brings Israel and His people back to the story of Israel and the Exodus. It is constant. It's, in, it's throughout all the Old Testament books, whether you're talking about the Psalms or First, uh, Second Samuel, all over the place, throughout the prophets, He constantly calls them back to their story. That God had found them as a nation, found, found them as a nation. He had already told them way before they existed what would happen. And, and, and they were in slavery in Egypt, and they'd been there for 400 years. And God calls them out, provides for them a leader in Moses, and calls them out of Egypt into a new freedom. And He had called them to a land that had been promised back in the time of Abraham, to Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. All they had to do was trust and obey, right? Just like the song, trust and obey. You just go where I'm telling you to go, do what I'm telling you to do, and this land is yours. You don't have to worry about even building a house. I'm going to drive people out before you, and you will win every battle, and you will win the war, and you will win the prize. And that prize will be the land and homes you did not have to build, in cities you did not have to build, with walls that you did not have to build, and you will sit there and be blessed as long as you are faithful. Sounds like a pretty good deal, right? And so this was the promise. But when they were called out, they didn't even get out of the county, so to speak, before they were already whining. It's just like a carload of kids, you know? You get from here to blanket. 
Are we going to stop and eat? I'm thirsty. And that's just me. Okay, that's not even the girls. You thought I was talking about my girls. Listen, if I get to the city limits without something in the cup holder, something wrong, okay? Because I was denied as a child. And I will tell you, it is in my head, but there ain't therapy to take it out. So i got to have something to drink because I was always told no when I was a kid. I need to have something to drink in the car or I die thirsty. I'm getting thirsty thinking about it. So, good night. i got to find better slides. Yeah, I'm hungry, thirsty, this isn't working. Temptations are real. <laughs> Temptations are real. And we get angry and we get whiny. And I don't know about after 40 days. But in the parallel of the temptations of Jesus, you see that they were in the wilderness for 40 years, faced with all kinds of trials and temptations. And they failed a lot of them. They didn't fail all of them, but they failed a lot of them, some pretty big ones. And Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Why 40? For 40 days, for 40 years. And he is faced with parallel temptations. But this time, he fulfills them with faithfulness instead of failure. It's kind of fascinating when you look at it. In this one, Israel was constantly griping about God's not going to take care of us. He promised us a land of milk and honey, but I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And so God provided manna, and they ate manna. Before that, what, they, what was their complaint? He just led us out here to die. God doesn't really care about us. He's not really going to keep His promises. We're just going to die. Sit here in the dirt and die. And they even went so far as to say, you know, Egypt wasn't even all that bad. We had fish and we had cucumbers and they let us eat all we wanted. Mm, the devil will make a lie out of nostalgia, folks. The devil makes a lie out of nostalgia all the time. Churches buy the lie of nostalgia all the time. It was always better back when. Back when. Back when. Mm -mm. No, it wasn't because Jesus is in both places. How would one place Jesus was be better than another place Jesus was? Think about it. But we buy the lie. They totally forgot. You know good and well, first off, the Egyptians did not just say, here's the refrigerator, eat all you want to their slaves. That's a lie. But they also forgot about the whips at their back, the fact that they could be murdered at any time that a slave master wanted. Totally forgot the hardships because they were so busy whining about the current smaller hardship. Do we ever do that? You know we do, right? We do. And because the devil had already seen all these years of human habit like that, and because he believed, even if we don't, that Jesus really was a man, he figured the same pattern ought to work. And what got the Israelites ought to get Jesus. Because now he knows Jesus is having to deal with the flesh. So it would be tempting to be ungrateful after 40 days of no food. It would be tempting to use the power for yourself. It would be tempting to blow it in the last moment. And we do that a lot too, don't we? You get to the 40th day and that's when you blow it. That's terrible, but we do it all the time. And Jesus didn't go that way. Instead, He said this, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And we know the rest of the quote, right? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Now, this is not just a matter of Jesus quoting Scripture at the devil. We kind of sometimes superficially look at it that way. That's part of what He does, but there's deeper reason to what He does. There is, there, there, there is a depth to the Scriptures He chooses. When He says it, that man lives by every word from the mouth of God, He's not just saying man lives because he can quote Scripture to the devil. It's going to take you more than that if you want to overcome temptation. That is a piece of the puzzle, okay? Not putting that down. You need to know the Word of God so that you know when Satan comes to you what you need to tell him. Part of resisting the devil is reminding him of what is actually true in spite of the way he will twist words into a Scripture-quoting lie. Okay? So you need to be well-versed in the Word of God and be able to answer when Satan or anybody else is tempting you. But you need to know there's more to it than that. Part of what Jesus is saying when He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, is He is making right what Israel got wrong. He's saying, God, by His Word, has promised to provide for me that if I will be faithful to Him, and if I will trust Him through this wilderness, that what I need, He will bring. You see? He's saying, God keeps His promises. And I don't live by what's on my plate. I live by my trust in the One who has promised to fill that plate, God the Father. I live because I know that on the other side of this temptation, God's going to provide what I need. And we know the end of the story. What does Matthew tell us in his account in Matthew chapter 4 happened right after Jesus succeeded in overcoming this temptation, these temptations? The angels did indeed come and attend to Him and meet His needs, but only because He trusted, not just quoted, but trusted the words of God that had said, I'm going to take care of you, but you've got to remain faithful. So He pushed on through and said, I don't have to d- turn rocks into bread. My God said He'll take care of me and He'll take care of me. That's essentially what He's saying. My God promised and I trust Him. Then the devil comes back with another. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give to give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. There's a few things there, and some of them we don't have time to deal with this morning. Satan's view of himself is something, isn't it? I own everything anyway. We know that's not true, but we know that God lets him think so sometimes. I own everything. It's all mine. I can give it to you. He is, he is asking Jesus to recognize him as the greatest authority in the universe. His arrogance. It's kind of fascinating. If you go back and look through all of these, you can see what tempts Satan. You can see why he fell, where his weaknesses are, by what he thought was important in these temptations. They say as much about him as they say about anybody. And that's probably true when he comes to us too, isn't it? The devil took him up there. He shows him all the kingdom and says, you know what, you don't have to go through all this. You know what lies ahead. And you know how hard it's going to be. I can make it easier on you, Jesus. Because Jesus already knows what he's in for, doesn't he? He knows about the cross. He knows about the death. He knows about the shame. And do you think if you knew about the cross and you knew about the shame and you knew everything that was about to happen with the betrayal of Judas 
in just a few years? Do you think it might be tempting for you to say, man, if I can avoid that, I think I will. If there's an easier way, and again, temptation doesn't exist where there's not a desire. What did Jesus pray in the garden? Lord, if there's any way you could take this cup from me, if there's any way we don't have to go through this way, please, any way at all, but at thy word, according to your will, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Let me say, this is probably a good place to stop and say this. That temptation's real. And it would be easy for us, especially when we look at ourselves, maybe even more so when we look at others, to say that temptation is itself wrong, that temptation is sin. And what we need to remember is that that is one of the devil's lies. It's also the lie of the self-righteous. Temptation isn't sin. Giving in is. That the devil comes and tries you does not make you wrong. It makes you a, a Christian with a target on your back that he sees potential in or he wouldn't bother. You're tempted because Satan sees in you the potential for holiness and righteousness and wants to thwart it. So when Satan tempts you, you don't feel guilty that you were tempted because that's just Satan trying to get you another way. If he can guilt you into, being, into thinking you're not strong enough or you wouldn't be tempted, then he's going to have you. He's got you where he wants you. Jesus was not guilty because he was tempted. He was tempted because he wasn't yet guilty. And Satan wanted to change that. Same with you. Same with you. So don't get those two things confused because Satan likes to beat people up with that. He was tempted because who wouldn't want to be able to save the world without having to go through the shame of the cross? What does Jesus say? <laughs> Sorry, I ain't been to my knee to you. Parallel with Israel, there, there are several, frankly. There are several times they did this. Uh, one might be at Sinai. They really were already frustrated with God. They'd already whined a lot. They already thought, this is too hard. And they hadn't even gotten anywhere yet. And at Sinai, while uh, Moses is up receiving the law, they're down at the foot of the mountain. And what are they doing? Taking off the earrings and the necklaces that they'd gotten from the Egyptians, throwing them in a pot. And then I love Aaron's response. I don't know what happened. We threw gold in and that calf just came right up out of there. Good night. Some of the Bible is a sitcom, isn't it? And so they're down there fashioning a God of their own making because they already have so little trust because life is hard in God their Father who has already delivered them. He's already overcome Pharaoh and his army. He's already shown them that he will provide. There's really no excuse for this, but it's still what they do. They give in to the temptation of unbelief and not trusting and not just God has a plan and I'm going to trust the plan. They give in. They look for a shortcut. Maybe if we can get us another God, maybe He'll take care of us. This is a recurring theme with them, that they would do this. And so they tried to make another God and, and make it easier. Not Jesus. He said, listen, there is one God. And He looks at the devil and says, and you're not Him. And if you think I'm bowing down to you, you're nuts. It's not going to happen. And he says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. One of the commandments that was given at the top of the mountain while they were casting a calf of gold at the bottom. This isn't random stuff that Jesus is saying, is it? Luke 4, verse 9. 
And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. I think this is the weirdest one of all. Okay, I think this one's weird from Satan's part. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's what he wanted him to do. It's basically Satan's last chance in this particular moment. He's frustrated because he's tried to appeal to the flesh and Jesus has withstood it. He's tried to appeal to fear and to, to, to an easier way to handle these things. And, and Jesus doesn't, doesn't fall for it. So finally he says, fine, if you are going to tell me that the reason you're not going to turn the stone into bread is because you believe God's promises. And if you are going to tell me that you're not going to bow down to me because God is so great, He keeps His promises, and He has a better plan than I do, even if it's hard, then I'll tell you what. Let's try those promises on for size for a second. You think that that's your strength, trusting God's promises, standing on the promises? Let's try a promise. He promised that He wouldn't let you get hurt. Why don't you jump down? He appeals to Jesus' faith and trust and obedience like it's a weakness. If God is your crutch, let's test it. Israel is, is guilty of failing this test at Massa in Exodus chapter 17. And Jesus quotes that passage. He quotes Exodus 17 when He says, You shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. They were hungry again. They were thirsty again. They were worried again. They were scared again. And one more time, they said, I don't know that God's really going to take care. Moses, as you know, was instructed to strike the rock. Is that quite what he was told? No. (laughs) He was told to address the rock. And in anger, he struck it. And water poured forth. But in the instructions for Moses, God told him, listen, they're saying... We're going to go find us another God. If God can't provide for us the way that He promised, when we want it, how we want it, then we're just going to go find us another God. You ever been guilty of having that attitude? God's not answering as fast as I want. Why should I bother going to church? Why should I bother praying? Why should I bother treating other people right if they're not going to treat me right back? I'm just going to find myself a God of my own making. Maybe it'll be in the shape of a football or a fishing pole. I'm going to go get my own thing and get that going. They were guilty, but not Jesus. He looked the devil in the eye and said, Listen, you don't put the Lord your God to the test. We don't play games where we become the manipulators of God. There's a kind of Christian that quotes Scripture at God like he's their cosmic bellhop. You have to give me because you promised. You have to give me because you promised. You have to give it to me and I want it now. That doesn't make you a strong Christian. It makes you a whining brat. It makes you arrogant. And it puts you over God trying to pull the strings like Jehovah is your Pinocchio. God doesn't like that any more than a parent does. He doesn't like it. He's not going to answer it. But that was the temptation that the devil put before him. And Jesus had none of it. Okay, that's how he withstood temptation. 
Those are the parallels to the Israel story. What about your story? There are a few things I want us to catch really fast, really fast, I promise. One, at the very beginning we noted this about Jesus, that He was full of the Holy Spirit, that He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. We have often looked at this story as if the key is, if I can memorize the right verses and quote them at the devil, he has nothing on me. Again, I do think that's part of our defense. We need to know the Word of God because that tells us what God wants and what He wants instead of giving in. It points us in the back in the right directions. It refocuses us. So don't hear me wrong on this, but that's one leg of the stool. It's not the whole stool. When Jesus was going to face temptation... He depended on the Holy Spirit to guide him and to strengthen him and to help him through these temptations. You may be saying, I don't know how to do that. Okay, that's why we're in the Gospels. We're going to learn that as we go through the book of Luke. But this is, this is, this is a big part of why Jesus was able to do what we have not been able to do so well. Okay? Every temptation for him was just as real as ours, just as intense. But he relied on the Holy Spirit. He was better prepared going in than we often are. So put there, is it possible the reason we, all, we often fail is because we went into that temptation or that trial unprepared and not leaning on the Holy Spirit who is one of our greatest defenses and defenders. That is quite possible, isn't it? Quite possible. Romans chapter 8 tells us what a great resource the Spirit is in our life. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And it's in our weakness that we often face the hardest trials and temptations. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit knows the mind that is of the Spirit. I'm getting the NIV mixed in there. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit prays for you, groans for you. And that ought to be reciprocal, shouldn't it? That we would lean on the Holy Spirit. That we would lean on His guidance. And thank God that He is in our corner fighting for us in those moments. Because He is. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16 focuses back at on Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus is there waiting for us to say, I know that you were able to overcome these things. Help me because I don't know how. The Spirit is there with words too deep for us to even understand, praying on our behalf. And did you notice what else? What did I say last week? Every pivotal moment in our life, including those moments of temptation and trial, you will find the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Look back at this verse from before. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He groans for us. Well, who is He groaning for? And who is it that knows the mind of the Spirit? Verse 27, He who searches our hearts. Who is that? God the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't go into that ring without all three at your side. Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the key, isn't it? The problem with thinking that it's only if I could just memorize a verse to quote is where does that put all of the strength at? 
It puts it on ourselves and our own knowledge and our own discipline. And that is not where you'll find the victory. Ask Israel. You find it in the Father who listens, in the Spirit who prays, in the Son who guides and who can sympathize and show us how it can be done and has shown us that it can be done. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That was the root. Look at verse James uh, chapter 4, verse 7, because this we miss too. What's the first thing that we ought to do? And Jesus did. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Luke, the Spirit led him out of the wilderness. And what did it say? He was full of the Spirit. And the Spirit led him in the wilderness. You submit yourself, therefore, to God. In every one of his responses to Satan, he said, I don't obey you. I submit to God. Every one of his responses, go back and look at them. Every one of is a submission to God the Father. You want to face trial and overcome? Submit yourself to God. You want to resist temptation? First submit yourself to God. Then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But let me tell you something. The second half of that sentence doesn't happen without the first. Because the devil doesn't, doesn't flee from you because of you. He flees from you because he knows that you serve the Lord your God and you serve him only. And you walk, Galatians 5, by the Holy Spirit. And your greatest desire is to please the Lord and not the flesh. When we get that, we will see in ourselves the same kind of victory that Jesus had in the wilderness. And that is possible by the grace and the strength of God. Let's pray together. Father, You know our weaknesses and You know all the times that we've failed. And Father, we want to lay those before You and seek Your mercy and Your grace this morning. Father, we also want to seek Your strength. Father, You have promised that You will make sin the exception and not the rule in our life. That You will shape us into people who actually can think and act and speak and love like Jesus. And we don't see it in the mirror, but Father, we do see it in Your promises and we want to trust You. We pray, Father, that You will be with every single brother and sister in this room today and every day that You give us breath. That You and Your Spirit and Your Son will guide us to a victory over the things that if have bothered us, plagued us, weakened us, and made us to fall for years. Father, we pray your strength. We pray for your wisdom. We pray for your heart of innocence and love and kindness to be ours. Father, we love you, and we pray that all that we do is to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayers this morning, or if you need to give your life to Christ and start this journey, And we encourage you to do that as we stand and as we sing.